Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Welcome to Breaking Beauty, the podcast all about the breakthrough people, products, and moments in beauty. We're your hosts, Jill Dunn and Carlene Higgins. Hello there. It's Wednesday. That means it's Breaking Beauty Day. Here to get you over that hump, it's myself, Carlene, and Jill Dunn. Hi, Jill. Hey, Carlene. So I'm sure you guys know by now, we're two beauty editors turned podcasters here to tell you what's hashtag damn good every single Wednesday, whether that's product reviews or speaking to a founder about their iconic product, or like we're doing today, speaking to an expert in the field of skincare, makeup, fragrance, hair care, you name it. How are you, Carlene? I'm good. I'm good. I'm feeling a little thirsty. Oh, yeah? You ready for me to get thirsty on the mic? (laughs) Yes. (laughs) I'm going to do something I very rarely do. I'm going to ask for our lovely listeners to jump into Apple Podcasts and leave us a review. If you're a fan and a regular listener of our show, why not? Give us five stars. Tell us what you think. We're reading those comments all the time. We are living for them. Don't be afraid. Talk to us through the reviews. Help share the love. Yeah. And you might be wondering, why do people ask for reviews all the time? Podcasters are so annoying. Well, I'll tell you why, because it actually affects the algorithm and helps other people discover our show. Fellow beauty lovers discover our show. So that's why we do ask for them. And they really mean so much to us, Carlene, because we don't get to see our our, uh, pod fam face to face. And we do really appreciate all of the kind words that are usually left for us there. And feel free to leave some uh, constructive criticism as well, constructive feedback as well. But would really love it if you can hit pause, maybe go over there, write a little review and come back to listen to us today. All right. So I'm going to hit you guys with our topic of the day. And I think it's going to be a good one. I think it's lit AF. I think it's going to be it's smoky, hot in here. Everyone wants to know everything to know about getting a boob job. Oh, yes. Including myself. I've considered it on many occasions, never pulled the trigger, but, you know, it's never too late, I don't think. We'll find out today. Um, We're talking about boob jobs with Dr. Lara Devgan is back on the mic. She's so good. World-renowned plastic surgeon based in New York City. I'm so excited to have her back on the show. That's right. You know, she was on our show in episode 145 and she gave us all of the tea on eye procedures, dealing with under eye bags, dark circles, all of that, and what you can expect if you do visit a plastic surgeon and some of the solutions you can expect. So that was um, a bit of a sleeper hit episode, in my opinion. So go back and check it out. And of course, at Breaking Beauty, you know, when we talk about cosmetic surgery and plastic surgery, it's not a should. You don't need to get this done. You don't have to get it done. You're beautiful exactly as you are. But if you want to get it done, we want you to be informed. So if you're not familiar with Dr. Lara Devgan, she is a leading board certified plastic surgeon. She's based in New York City. She's also the founder and CEO of her own skincare line. It's called Dr. Devgan's Scientific Beauty. And she's really made a career from tending to some of the world's most recognizable faces. She's an expert in plastic surgery and in injectables for the face, breast, body. And what she can do and what she shows on her Instagram, the before and afters of like what she can do with a needle to make someone's nose completely different. Like she can make it look like you had a nose job and all she's using is injectables. It is wild. Yeah, it's amazing. And there's so much more to unpack than when you think of just, you know, a boob job, right? Like implants. There are 
many different types of breast lifts now. There's the vampire lift, Brazilian breast lift. I hadn't even heard of these until we started doing the research. Um, And then, of course, now there's breast augmentation with fat transfers. There's no implants involved at all. So I'm really curious to hear about that. Yeah. And let's, I'm going to pour one out for us larger chested ladies. Like I know so many people like in my own family that have had breast reductions. And I actually remember a friend in high school who had a breast reduction and it was gnarly. Like I remember seeing the tubes and all of that coming out of her. And just a couple of years ago, I had a family member had it done and I was like, wait, where are all the tubes and everything? Mm -hmm. So there's just so much on either end of the spectrum that you can do to improve the appearance of your bust line if that's what you choose to do. Absolutely. So today's episode is your primer. It's all of the questions I personally would be asking. I am asking um, for my own interest. So what's the cost? How do I get the most natural result? What's the downtime like? When do they need to be replaced? I want to know about breast implant illness and why some celebrities are choosing to have their implants removed. And I want to know if they feel the same after. You know, we all we all have that friend who's like, touch them. I've actually never done that. So I want to know. I'm going to ask. Pop your earbuds in, you know, put on your Breaking Beauty long sleeve winky lash shirt, merch alert. We still have those in stock. We're welcoming Dr. Laura Devgan. And don't forget every single thing that we talk about today. We're recapping it over on our website, which is breakingbeautypodcast.com because I know she's going to be dropping so much knowledge and you'll want to have a place to go to get all of the crib notes on that and check out our website. So here she is. Welcome, Dr. Laura Devkin. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Before we get too far into today's episode, I want to pause for a minute to tell you about one of today's show partners, Murad. So it's officially sunscreen season, you guys. And I want to tell you about the one I'm using right now that I really, really like for my face. It's a two-in-one innovation called Murad Correct and Protect Serum Broad Spectrum SPF 45. So the best part about it is that this SPF protects without leaving behind any white cast. And it goes on like a satin finish under my makeup. It doesn't pill when I wear a foundation and it doesn't leave my face too shiny. So it's great for all skin tones because it's basically invisible even though it's a 100% mineral SPF, which I know a lot of you might be looking for. It comes in a dropper format and it's really more like a liquid than a cream, hence why there's serum in the name. But it's not just about the texture. It's called a serum sunscreen because it's clinically proven to correct discoloration while preventing hyperpigmentation like dark spots and uneven skin tone, which of course is the result of the sun. And because Murad is dermatologist-founded skincare, I trust that it does what it says on the label because I know that they're doing those clinical trials. So the claims are science-backed. If you want to try it for yourself, we're hooking you up with a promo code for Breaking Beauty Fam. You can shop murad.com to save 20% and get free shipping with your $60 purchase when you use code BEAUTY. Again, that's murad.com. M-U-R-A-D.com when you use code BEAUTY. You can find details on this offer in our show notes and on our website with today's episode recap. And now let's hear from today's guest. Hi, I'm Sif Hyder, the founder of Array. I'm a wellness entrepreneur and digital creator, and this is my show, The Dream Bigger Podcast. Listen, I love dreaming big, but you know what I love more? Actually having the resources to make those big dreams happen. And hey, dreams can sometimes be private jets, but other times they can look a little something like having the best skin of your damn life or starting a successful business or delving into spirituality. So on this podcast, I chat with experts and thought leaders from different fields about their tips and tricks on doing exactly that. Remember to subscribe. We drop new episodes every Tuesday. So see you then. So welcome back to Breaking Beauty Podcast, Dr. Devgan. So hypothetically speaking, let's say I'm interested in getting a boob job. What's the gold standard to ask for in order to achieve the most natural looking result? I mean, I know the day of those like rock hard round sitting on top look is over, but like how can I ensure it just looks so natural? I'm keeping everyone guessing. The most important thing is to make sure that 
you and your surgeon are speaking the same language because natural can mean many different things to many different people. Mm. But I would say that one of the most important characteristics is to make sure that the measurements of your body and chest wall in particular are being taken into consideration. And so we think about a few things, the sternal notch to nipple distance, the nipple to inframammary fold distance, the base width of the breast and the areolar diameter. And those distances determine determine the capacity or the three-dimensional area under the curve, if you remember calculus, kind of like the three-dimensional okay. integral of your breast. So if you see an unnatural looking breast implant situation, it's typically an implant that is over distending the breast and making it look overstretched and kind of like a basketball or a cantaloupe sitting right on the chest. And you're lacking mm-hmm. that nice, smooth, teardroppy slope where you can have a pretty architecture um, that looks like you could have been born with it. And in order mm-hmm. to get that, you need to respect the base width of your breast and you need to not overstretch your tissues. So anatomy is really everything with breasts. In terms of the type of implant, you can get a great looking result either with a silicone or saline implant. If I had to pick for myself personally, knowing everything I know, I would personally choose a highly cohesive silicone gel implant, also sometimes referred to colloquially as a gummy bear implant, because those feel really squishy and amazing, kind of like your own natural breast tissue, but you can get a great feeling result with either kind of implant. Mm-hmm. I've heard about these gummy bear implants. Okay. <laughs> this is great. This is great. But I'm going to ask you, okay, so let's say I'm like, I want the gummy bear implants. I mean, the name alone is like, it's got, it's got such a better, you know, tagline to it than the other ones. But how real is it going to feel? Is it going to feel like a real breast or is it going to feel slightly different? Like I've, I haven't felt them under the skin before. I never have. They feel, actually, I have some right here. I can show you one. <laughs> Show and tell. Yay. (laughs) Let's see it. So they feel really good, actually. They feel very nice and squishy. And a gummy bear implant, so this is what one looks like, a gummy Uh bear breast implant um, or highly cohesive silicone gel implant basically feels like a regular breast and it's pliable and squeezable. They withstand about 4,000 pounds of pressure. So you can even drive over one with a car. Um, In my hands, in my practice, (laughs) I typically will place breast implants in a submuscular plane, which means under the pec major muscle. And that means that even if you have a very thin frame with not much subcutaneous fat, you have a bunch of covering over the implant. And that is another way that you can get a natural looking result. Typically speaking, is a breast augmentation like we're talking about right now, what is the cost of that or range if you're living in a major city? And has the cost gone down over time? I think that costs can vary significantly depending on Mm -hmm. the experience of your surgeon and kind of expertise and the complexity of the operation being performed but uh, Mm -hmm. can be in the range of $20,000. Expenses for a surgery like this include things like anesthesia, the expense of a board-certified anesthesiologist, facility fees, the price of the implants themselves. And there are many details of a surgery that are not fully captured in the sticker price itself, including things like your pre- and post-operative care, and also factors like the antibiotic irrigation used in surgery, the anesthetic medication, the nerve block, et cetera, et cetera. There are also many little finer points of surgery. Like, for example, um, one thing that happens today that didn't happen when I was in my training, which, although it feels like a million years ago, wasn't that long ago. You know, many refinements have happened in plastic surgery procedures. So, for example... When I first started my training, breast augmentation was a four or five hour operation and the incision was five inches long. And now an oper- mm-hmm. it's an operation that in my hands um, is a very short outpatient procedure, 
there are a couple drops of blood loss and the incision is so tiny that in most cases it's under an inch. And the implant is placed wow. into the breast using a sterile funnel. That's very cool. It's almost like a pastry funnel. So um, you make a really tiny incision and you can propel sterilely an implant into the correct tissue plane without it ever touching human hands. And that one invention and development that has happened in the past decade has decreased infection rate of breast augmentation significantly and also mm -hmm. decreased the length of the scar and made it a much faster and more pleasant operation for the patients. So it's kind of win, win, win. So there are a lot of little things like that that, yeah. um, that actually are expensive interventions, but in my opinion are worth every penny. Amazing. I remember talking to Pia Baroncini on our show. She was open about her breast augmentation and she, I'll never forget. I remember she said she went to a meeting the same day she got her breasts done. She just wore a giant like down puffer coat. And I was like, whoa, like I, that just kind of blew me away because I had no idea about the downtime. So maybe you can speak to that a little bit. Like what's the typical downtime now? I once went to dinner at the Mark, like uh, one night after I was done with a busy day in the operating room. I had a friend from college who was in town and I went for dinner at the Mark and I literally saw one of my breast augmentation patients from that day <laughs> at the Mark. And I was like, oh my God. Okay, I did a really good nerve block today. Because yeah. <laughs> that is awesome. We are both having the shrimp salad, which if you've not had it is very good. Um, and so, you know, I won't say that that's the experience that everyone has because it is a real surgery and it can be um, mm -hmm. uncomfortable, but certainly plastic surgery procedures are generally speaking outpatient procedures for every patient. We do a thorough medical clearance, including blood tests and EKG if applicable. So we don't operate on patients who have an active medical problem. And if you do, we make sure that you're healthy and well before you have your surgery. So that's one way to make sure that you have a good experience going into surgery. So we make sure you're really healthy and in great shape and condition before your surgery. And then during surgery, downtime for breast augmentation um, is typically that most patients will take a couple of days off of work, anywhere from two to four or five days off of work. It obviously depends on the nature of your job. If you have a more physical job, you might need to take more time off. But if you work at a desk, maybe you don't need to take any time at all. And uh -huh. then um, I send my patients home in a special surgical bra, which is basically like a doctor's version of a somewhat unglamorous sports bra that has a, fr <laughs> a, a front zip closure. It's sort of like a sports bra, but uglier than that. And, <laughs> and it has a front zip closure and um, it gives you some compression of the breasts. And so it has a, an important function and that's it. And sometimes patients want to ice their breasts for comfort, but that's not mandatory. Okay. Got it. And I know a lot of people are curious and probably like for me, when I think about a breast augmentation, when I start thinking about the nipple, like I get a little bit queasy, I'm not going to lie. And so I know that this is something that people are really curious about. And if your nipple will have like the same function afterwards, it will have the same level of sensitivity. Can you give us your expertise around that topic? Yes, such a good question and very frequently asked. So there's going to be no change in nipple function or sensitivity. There's no change in ability to breastfeed. There's no change in arousal or orgasm or orgasm spectrum sensation after breast augmentation. Sometimes people report a little bit um, more nipple sensation after um, breast augmentation, but there's uh, typically no change. And I will say, let me offer the caveat that that's with the approach that I'm describing using an incision yeah. in the inframammary fold. There is an approach to breast augmentation where some surgeons um, will offer a breast augmentation with an incision around the areola. Um, and that can have some changes with nipple sensation. It's not my preferred approach for several reasons. First of all, I find the scar to be undesirable because it's right on the center of your breast and that scar can heal in a slightly unpredictable manner. 
Second of all, a periareolar incision that's right around your nipple is considered a slightly contaminated approach because the milk ducts are not 100% clean since they're traversing the milk pathways of your breast. And there is some debate that if you use that access approach, you know, can you be slightly increasing your risk for capsular contracture, which is that firm, hard look of breast implants from, you know, remember something about Mary when Magda had those really hard breasts. Magda, she was the best. But um, yeah. <laughs> uh, so that's like what capsular contracture looks like. And, um, you know, we want to avoid that at all costs. That's not a not a desirable outcome, obviously. And so um, those are two of the main reasons that I don't prefer the approach of periareolar access. So when I'm saying that breast augmentation doesn't have any effect on the nipples, I'm talking about using the access approach that I like, which is the inframammary yeah. access. I just want to ask you about the maintenance because I didn't realize, I, like in my naivete at one point, I was like, wait, you have to get them replaced? You know, they kind of like age. So when is that? Is that after like 10 years or how, how long do you recommend and what's sort of involved in that? Yes. So breast implants are not considered lifetime devices. Um, however, they don't have a formal expiration date. So there are many women who've been happy with their breast implants safely in place and looking amazing for 10, 20, 30 years or more. And as long as you're happy with your breast implants and they are intact and doing well and they look good and you feel good, you don't need to do anything about them. We recommend that you surveil your breast implants. Um, so mammograms are recommended screening in the United States of America starting at age 40 or 10 years before your first first degree relative with breast cancer. So a first degree relative is like a mom or a sister. So let's say you had a mom with breast cancer at age 45. That means you would start getting your mammograms at age 35 because that's 10 years before that. But if you don't have a family history, then you just start at age 40 and you get a mammogram every year. That's just regular cancer screening for breast cancer, no matter who you are, even if you don't have breast implants. If you do have breast implants, then you're going to, in addition to your regular breast screening, you're also going to get periodic ultrasounds or MRIs to just look at your breast implants and make sure they're okay. And your doctor will advise you about when exactly to do that. But in most situations, that's every three years or so to make sure your implants are looking and feeling good. As long as they are and you feel great, you do not need to do anything to swap them out. However, many women will go through changes like weight fluctuations, childbearing, nursing, or all of the above. And, you know, we find with time and gravity and life passing by that after 10, 20 years, some, somewhere in there, people start to feel like their breasts don't look exactly the same. So, you know, often after a decade or so, people desire swapping out their implants. You know, in the meantime, Technology is happening like in the same way, you know, the latest iPhone is much better than the first one that we got a while back. The latest breast implant is much better than the one that was was around 10 years ago. So sometimes people just want to upgrade their implants because each generation of implants is getting better and better. So the short answer to your question is there's no formal expiration date, but you're probably going to want to swap them out. And in your mind, you should think like, okay, at some point I'm going to be swapping these out, but it's not an emergency and you only have to do it if there's a problem. Right. And gravity still is gravity, guys. <laughs> it's still doing its thing. Exactly. And just to be realistic <laughs> about things, like we haven't totally solved how to stop time from passing. So that's still a factor. Yeah. <laughs> mm -hmm. You mentioned uh, cancer and cancer screenings. And I do think people would be curious if breast implants either lend themselves to a less chance of developing breast cancer or more of a chance, or what do we need to know around that? Breast implants are not going to affect your cancer screening or your risk of developing breast cancer. Breast implants there is one type of breast implants with a textured shell or with a covering that has a bumpiness or texture to it 
that is associated with a very rare form of lymphoma called ALCL. And that is a very diminishingly rare concept and possibility. But for that reason, myself and many of my colleagues no longer use textured breast implants. And mm-hmm. um, if you have textured breast implants, you do not need to panic or get them removed. You can talk to your doctor and figure out what's right for you. Um, I do not use textured breast implants in my practice and have never used them uh, for that and several other more technical reasons. But that's my overall thought on breast implants and cancers. Mm-hmm. Okay. And you can still see with a mammogram, you're, it mm-hmm. doesn't hide anything. You're able to still see if something's going on. If you have breast implants, when you get your mammograms, one additional view called an Eklund view will be done to allow additional surveillance of your breasts. So nothing will be hidden. And in fact, interestingly, your breast implant is not in your breast tissue. It's actually removed from your breast tissue and pushing your breast tissue away from your chest. So in a way, it allows you to see the tissue extra. A short pause to shout out our show partner, Printfresh. Do you remember last year was all about the nap dress? Well, consider this my petition to make 2022 the year of the nap robe. That's because I've fallen hard for mine from Printfresh. And you know what? I want to wear it out in public. So Printfresh is a women-owned and operated luxury sleepwear brand with inclusivity and sustainability in mind. As the name suggests, what really sets Printfresh apart are the prints, of course. Their sleepwear is full of colorful, whimsical patterns that are beautifully screen printed by hand onto 100% organic cotton. So I got the Bagheera Sapphire Robe. It's a sapphire blue with bold flora and leopard prints, a real vintage vibe. And I shared it on our Instagram story. I was doing a get ready with me and I was talking about how much I loved the cut, the mid-calf length, the lightweight cotton, and also the fact that it has pockets. And I got so many DMs about the print. Plus, they offer sizes ranging from extra small to 6X, along with offering women's, men's, and all gender silhouettes. They hope that anyone can find their perfect fit. And I think that Print Fresh would make such a great gift. They have a whole Mother's Day edit on their website. So it's easy to give the gift of comfort this Mother's Day. And even if you're shopping last minute or you're having trouble picking out the perfect sleepwear, Print Fresh gift cards can take the stress and guesswork out of gifting. Plus, they have fast shipping and free exchanges. Very exciting news. We have a special promo code just for our Breaking Beauty listeners. Head to printfresh.com slash breaking beauty or use code beauty for 15% off your first order with fast shipping and free exchanges. That's printfresh.com slash breaking beauty or use code beauty for 15% off your first order. We'll link to this offer in our show notes and on our website. Now back to our interview with Dr. Devkin. We also see a lot of headlines, you know, about celebrities who are getting their implants removed um, altogether. And I know Carlene was talking about Michelle Visage. She's on RuPaul's Drag Race and she released a film called Explant. So what are some of the reasons in your practice that you're seeing where people are choosing to do this? I think there are many reasons why people choose to remove breast implants Um, It's actually not something that I commonly see in my practice. I have had Mm -hmm. a few patients who have chosen to remove their breast implants, and I'm always happy to listen to my patients. And if you decide that breast implants are not right for you for any reason, you should be comfortable talking to your plastic surgeon about that, and they should definitely meet you where you are and help you with that process. I think If you feel like breast implants are no longer part of your identity, if you feel like you want to be smaller chested, if you're feeling like they are causing you to not feel how you want to feel, the breast implants can be removed. And the process for removing breast implants is similar to the process for putting them in, where typically the same incision um, is used to access the implant and dissection is carried out around the implant itself and then the implant is removed. So breast augmentation and breast explantation can be done safely and effectively. And I think that if if that's a concern for a patient, then it absolutely can be addressed. Mm-hmm. 
And talk to us more specifically about some of the things that can happen that people should be aware of, you know, any potential adverse effects um, like a rupture. How do you know if that's something that's happened? And breast implant illness, which we got a few questions about in our Facebook chat room as well. Yeah. So in terms of rupture of breast implants, if you have a saline breast implant and you have a rupture, you're going to know it immediately because your implant will become flat. So you'll be flat on one side and it will be totally obvious to you because one side will look normal and one side will look abnormal and flat. And that can happen if you have some kind of injury or trauma, like an airbag deploys on your chest or you fall off a horse or you get struck in the chest or something like that. If you have a silicone breast implant, it can be less obvious because the silicone implants, as I said, are highly cohesive gel gummy bear implants. So like a gummy bear, if you cut it in half, it won't leak or leach. Um, So it's form stable, meaning it kind of keeps its shape even if it ruptures. So that's the reason why we need to image the implants with an MRI or ultrasound to determine if they're intact. So if you have a silicone implant, you need to be a little bit more keyed into what's going on in your life. So if you're in a bad car accident, God forbid, but that's actually probably the most common scenario, then you need to maybe think about, do I need to get surveillance of my implants? Maybe I should, instead of just getting a CAT scan of my head when I'm in the ER, maybe I should book an appointment to also check out my breast implants and make sure they look okay. So that's what we think about in terms of implant rupture. If you do have a silent rupture of your implants, which is the term that we use to describe breast implants that have ruptured in the background where, you know, maybe they ruptured a month ago and you didn't really notice, but here they are ruptured on an MRI that you happen to get. It's not an urgent emergency to get your implant swapped out, but we do recommend that you don't live with a ruptured implant and that you do ultimately get it swapped out with some acuity, like in the next couple of months after that, because you don't want to live with a non-intact implant in your body for an indefinite period of time. Right. Um, So that's on the topic of rupture. If you have a saline implant that's ruptured, as I said, you'll know about it, and then you'll just call your plastic surgeon and schedule an elective procedure to swap out that implant. Um, Mm -hmm. On the topic of breast implant illness, I think this has become one of the most conflicting and important topics regarding breast augmentation in our generation because a lot of people have concerns about this. You know, breast implant illness is this entity that a lot of people um, feel when they describe symptoms like feeling tired or fatigued or brain fog or unwell, um, and they are associating those feelings with having breast implants. Um, And I think that it's very important as a plastic surgeon, as a woman myself, I think it's very important that we always listen to our patients and never minimize the symptoms that people are feeling. At the same time, from a scientific standpoint, we don't yet have the ability to causally link breast implants to the entity that we commonly refer to in the general public as breast implant illness. And what I mean by that is that it's not that the women who say they have brain fog or depression and so forth are lying. Absolutely not. I do not mean that at all. Um, What I mean is that when we look at a group of women who have breast implants and a group of women in the general population who do not have breast implants, the same percentage of women in both of those groups has similar symptoms of brain fog, Mm -hmm. depression, fatigue, malaise, autoimmune disease, rheumatoid arthritis, melanoma, depression, squamous cell, alcoholism, associated symptoms that have been grouped together as this entity sometimes referred to as breast implant illness. And so because of that, we cannot say from a science-only standpoint that there is a causal link between breast implants and the entity called breast implant illness. And Mm -hmm. I think it's very important for me to be so clear in speaking about this because I think one of the worst things in the world is for the general public and women with breast implants in particular 
I think one of the worst things in the world is for people to get the message that plastic surgeons don't care. I mean, I find it so repugnant when it feels like the medical community does not care about people. And if there's only one thing that people understand from listening to me speak, it's I want it to be that I care about people and that the medical community truly does care about people. You know, plastic surgery, I think, is portrayed in pop culture as one of the most frivolous and stupid professions you could possibly imagine, but it's actually one of the most academic, compassionate, and ethical professions that you could ever think of. And when I'm speaking for myself and my colleagues, we spend so much time internally reflecting on like, are we missing something? Are we listening well enough to our patients? Have we really Mm -hmm. dotted all of our I's and crossed all of our T's? Is it possible that this is potentially causing this phenomenon? Like, are we missing anything? Can we look at the data any more carefully? And, you know, the truth is that Breast implants are literally the best studied FDA approved device in the history of the world. One in 20 adult American women has breast implants. Over 300,000 American women every year get breast implants. You know, it's the most commonly performed cosmetic plastic surgery procedure in America. You know, my own mother has breast implants and I would never allow that if it was something that I felt like was not an acceptable and safe and medically responsible procedure. And I think that that does not mean that if you have breast implants and you're not feeling well, that does not mean that I don't believe you. That does not mean you don't have a problem. And if you don't like your implants, you should definitely get them taken out. And I'll take them out for you. And a lot of my colleagues will take them out for you and we will believe you and we will help you and we we trust you to make good Mm -hmm. decisions about your own body. Now onto the topic of breast lifts, because I know there's some friends of mine that are listening and this is what they're interested in. Like I said, they want their perky. They want the north facing nipple. Personally, I'm not really sure that that's the vibe that I would go for. But let's talk about that. And when you would choose a breast lift versus a traditional augmentation, or maybe you do it in tandem, I'm not sure. So a breast lift is an operation also known as a mastopexy that you use if you have breasts that are downward pointing and you want them to look perkier. So if you have If you have nipples that are pointing down to the ground and, you know, I I think there was an episode of some show, I don't remember the show, but like the pencil test, the concept of the pencil test. Um, I don't know if that's still a thing, but in plastic surgery, we use the term ptosis, P-T-O-S-I-S, which means droopiness. And if you have ptosis or hanging of the breasts. This can happen because of genetics. It can happen due to aging or time. And it can also happen because of weight fluctuations, pregnancy or nursing, or some combination of all of those things. But you can get downward pointing or droopy breasts and a mastopexy uses techniques where we rearrange the tissues and create a more perky and pleasing conformation of the breasts. Typically, the incision is shaped like a lollipop or an anchor around the areola and straight down, sometimes with a little horizontal component. Is it a smoother ride or is it more involved? Is the scarring worse? Like, how does it sort of compare? There's definitely much more scarring in a breast lift than a breast augmentation. The breast augmentation, remember, is this small one-inch scar. A breast Mm -hmm. lift And a breast reduction has the same kind of scar pattern as well. For those operations, the scar, and we can kind of talk about them together because they're similar. The only difference is that in a breast reduction, we're also taking away tissue. But for a breast lift or reduction, the scarring pattern is much greater because we have to do more in terms of shrinking the skin envelope. There is an excess or surfeit of skin on the breasts. And we have to make that skin go away. It's basically like a tailoring problem. Imagine you have a dress that's a couple sizes too big. You have to create seams in it and then cut them open and sew them together. Mm. 
Mm-hmm. And what's the downtime for that? Like I, I know several people have gotten breast reductions and they, they, you know, it was fairly easy, like in and out kind of in the same day and they didn't have, you know, a ton of downtime, but they, I know like they couldn't lift anything heavy for like six weeks, like that kind of stuff. Yes. It's typically relatively comfortable because no deep muscle or deep tissue is being affected. But remember that with wound healing, we want to keep tension off of the breasts. And so there's no heavy lifting or strenuous exercise for six weeks. And that in my practice includes swimming or soaking yourself in a bathtub. So the scarring is more intense. Is there something you can do to make it like, what do you recommend for healing, scar healing? We wait for six weeks for the incisions to re-epithelialize or heal nicely. And then there are lots of things that you can do to have a great scar, including using silicone adhesive strips, which are really nice because they encourage the wounds to re-epithelialize or heal in a nice flat manner. And we can also use things like uh, topical skincare. Actually, my vitamin CB, ferulic, and retinol bakuchiol, which I love for the face, are really nice for topical wound healing for scars too. They help scars fade. And we can also use laser resurfacing. If someone has any aspect of a scar that's raised, we can also um, inject that with a steroid. So there are many things that we can do to coax scars into healing better. I noticed that SkinCeuticals is actually coming out with a product. It's for the face, but it's called Advanced Gel, And it's for this, it's all for healing scarring and burn scrapes and cuts. So I'm interested to see if like any post-op that you can use it, if that uh, really works. Yeah, silicone is um, a nice product for scars because it Mm -hmm. creates a little bit of hydrostatic pressure on these little baby cells as they heal. And it just makes them look really nice. Mm -hmm. So you've got your breast implant option. You've got a breast lift option. Now we've also been hearing and getting a lot of questions around breast augmentation with fat transfers. So tell us about the 101 on this. Is this something you do? Who's the best candidate? Tell us everything. Yes, love this. Okay, so autologous fat transfer is a really amazing technique to add a small amount of volume to breasts um, if somebody desires a little bit of additional volume for the breasts. And autologous fat transfer basically borrows fat from an area of the body that has an excess amount of fat. So typically this would be the lower abdomen or inner thighs. Those are two of the areas that have the best quality, kind of juiciest, butteriest fat. And fat can also be harvested from anywhere on the body that has a little bit of excess. So um, that's done via liposuction techniques. And When we're doing that liposuction, the fat is harvested into sterile canisters, and then it's sterilely prepared in the operating room on a sterile back table and re-injected into the breasts in a very delicate, careful technique where we're laying down the fat in little delicate rows and imagine little strings of pearls. So we're putting down the fat one little row at a time and little strings of pearls of fat and we're seeding the whole breast with fat grafting. And this is a technique that can be used to slowly layer and build fat for the breasts. With autologous fat grafting, there's several advantages and several disadvantages. One of the main advantages is that you're adding soft, natural beautiful volume to the breast without the use of a breast implant. The second big advantage for autologous fat grafting is that it's a very durable result. Only half of the grafted fat will survive, but the half that survives will stay forever. So half of it will not live. So the fullness that you get right away will not be your final outcome. Some of that will go down, about half of it will go down. So that can be a little disappointing for patients, but the half that does survive will last. And so that's another really nice advantage is you get a durable result. A third big advantage of autologous fat grafting is that the harvested fat is 
alive and comes with a blood supply because it's living fat cells and that they contain active living stem cells from the area that they're being harvested from. And so those stem cells also improve the tissue quality of the breasts where they're transferred. So you get a little bit of this surprising paradoxical improvement in the way the skin of the breast looks, which is not even Mm -hmm. the main reason why people do the operation, but it just happens to look a little bit better. So those are some of the reasons why people love this operation. And I would just add a fourth benefit, which is that there are no major incisions on the breasts because the fat is delivered via tiny pricks that are a bit larger than a needle prick. Maybe think of like a a triple needle prick, like something that's three times the size of a regular needle prick, but not quite the size of an incision. So um, no major incisions. Yeah, so this is very cool, but it does have some big disadvantages too. The disadvantages, <laughs> I know, I, you got to brace yourself before you get too excited. The big, big, yeah. big disadvantage is almost everybody feels like it's not enough fat and um, not yeah. enough volume. And the reason that it's not enough volume is because with autologous fat grafting, you really cannot get the shape or projection that you can get with a breast implant. So this is really Mm -hmm. only suitable for people who want to go up maybe half a cup size. And if you have any degree of deflation of the breasts, like post-pregnancy or something like that, that you want to kind of reinflate, fat grafting is almost like melted butter and it's not going to hold much structure. So Hmm. imagine like, imagine that you're spreading melted butter on a bagel. It's going to give you a little bit of softness and smooth stuff out, but it's not going to give you much structure. So Hmm. for people who want a little structure or who want more than half of a cup size, it's not going to make you happy. And who is this best for in terms of just like, when is it a viable option? Like we had that question from our, from our Facebook chat room. And I'm wondering if this is something people just kind of decide to do when they're coming in for liposuction anyway, or is this like they're coming in and they want a fat grafting boob job? Um, It could be either. It could be either way. Um, I think this is the best option for a few categories of patients. Um, First of all, someone who has, Um, a little imperfection or divot in their breast from either a breast cancer surgery or um, a lumpectomy or a little scar or trauma or a small asymmetry in their breast, and they just want to make it a little bit more even on one side versus the other. Number two, if somebody is small chested and they don't have droopy breasts and they just want to add a tiny bit of volume, like less than half a cup size, um, or number three. The Kendall Jenner. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not saying she had that done, but you know, that tiny bit. Carlene's voice. I just want to like. Yes, that was that was not Dr. Dovegun. <laughs> now, I know we won't have time to go through all of these, but there are some, these ones have buzzy titles. So I'm curious if any of them have merit. These are all different types of lifts that I read about. Vampire breast lift, vacuum breast lift, and a Brazilian breast lift. Are any of these something that you would do or recommend or has an advantage um, that we should know about? Vampire breast lift, I believe that's PRP injected in the breast. Not, it's not really going to do much for you. I, I can't okay. say that there's any data to support that. Um, All right. Vacuum breast lift, this uses a device called a Brava, um, which is basically like a suction cup device that sometimes people will use after fat grafting to help stimulate extra take of grafted fat. There are one or two people who've really done a lot of work on this topic. It's not totally taken off, but it's kind of cool. I don't think that's totally the, I think the technology idea is very cool, but we're not completely there yet. Okay. Got it. Early days. The last one is the Brazilian breast lift. I am not familiar with that one. I wonder if that's just fat transfer. <laughs> Sounds like sure. a good SEO title for a I wonder if that's lift. fat Someone's transfer just... because Brazilian butt lift is autologous fat transfer to the buttocks. Yeah. So I wonder if Brazilian yeah. breast lift is autologous fat transfer to the breast. Okay. 
Our last question for you, Dr. Devgan, let's say somebody's listening and they're saying, okay, I've done my research. I know what I want. I found a reputable surgeon in my area, but I'm just really anxious. What advice might you have for somebody around readying themselves for cosmetic surgery mentally or plastic surgery mentally and the aftermath? Great question. There is so much more than a before and after. And I myself am guilty of this on my social media. It's very hard to convey the during, but I'm trying to do more of this by showing the process photos and the removing of the sutures and the bruises. But there is this whole period in between the before and after when you will have post-surgical blues. You're going to feel sad. You're going to look not like you think you're going to look. You're going to wonder what you did. You're going to have pain. You're going to have bruising. You're going to have stitches. You're going to feel like your anesthesia medicine is wearing off and you'll feel a little confused and you'll have the withdrawal of pain medicine. And like that feeling right after you take a big final exam, you're like, who am I and where where am I? Um, So, (laughs) you know, you have to brace yourself and know going in that it's not just like this magic thing where you become Cinderella overnight. It's not a TikTok transformation, everyone. It's not. Yeah, it's not. It's not like that, like magic TikTok thing. So Mm -hmm. um, just know that going in and you want to just make sure that paradoxically, the best situations are when I operate on patients who are really happy with themselves. Like I once, um, I once spoke to a reporter who interviewed me for an article and she ended up calling the article, can you be body positive and still want to get a boob job or something like that? And like her Mm -hmm. whole thesis was like, yes. And then she did actually, she was writing about her own experience, but, um, (laughs) but, but I think so too. And I think my happiest patients are actually like they're pretty happy people going into it and they're doing it because they just like, they have something that they want to take care of for themselves. But you have to come at it from a place of yes and positivity, not from a place of self-abnegation and like, I hate myself and I'm miserable. Mm. And this one thing is going to save my life because it's not going to save your life. Mm-hmm. Well, I appreciate Thank you that. so much. We really appreciate your encore appearance on Breaking Beauty. And love following you on social media and everything. So thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much. It was so fun. Thanks for listening. You can find details on every product mentioned in today's episode, along with our exclusive promo codes on our blog at breakingbeautypodcast.com. While you're there, be sure to sign up for our newsletter. Every episode will be delivered directly to your inbox so you won't miss a single thing. And get social with us. Let us know what you think of the episode. You can follow us on Instagram at breakingbeautypodcast. And did you know we also have a private Facebook group? Just search Breaking Beauty Podcast chat room. You can even leave us a voicemail at any time with questions or feedback at 1-844-227-0302. And don't forget to subscribe to us wherever you get your podcast fix. Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, and Apple Podcasts, where you can show us some love by writing a review. See you next Wednesday. Like a cherry bomb.